This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. TL Talk Radio, Season 4, Episode 17. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 17 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hatton and Randy Zagunfus, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Zagunfus. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. Today, Randy, exciting, we're going to be talking with Nancy Mangum and Marianne Wolf, authors of Leading Personalized and Digital Learning, a book that uh, we have described as something that could have been a blueprint for the work that we've been doing in the district. So really excited to make some connections. A little bit about Nancy and Marianne before we get started. Marianne is the Director of Digital Learning Programs for the Friday Institute for Educational Innovation at North Carolina State University's College of Education. And Nancy is the Associate Director of Digital Learning Programs at the Friday Institute for Educational Innovation at North Carolina State University's College of Education. So so a team uh, put together here to create this uh, resource for educators. So looking forward to talking with you. So uh, welcome to the podcast today, Nancy and Marianne. Great. Thank you so much for having us here. Yes, we're excited about it. And we love to hear that you've been living this because that's exactly what is behind um, why we jumped into this work. Yeah, so that's actually a great segue into our first uh, part of the conversation here. So tell us a little bit about the work that you've been doing and what sort of inspired you to uh, put this book together with with so many um, really important pieces that I think can be helpful to those who are uh, in the K-12 realm trying to transform education. Sure. Um, so Nancy and I, um, along with our team here at the Friday Institute, and I think even before Nancy and I were here, have been working as teachers and then with educators across the state, but also across the country and trying to help them transition to more personalized digital learning. And realizing again and again that some schools were being very effective in that transition and others were definitely struggling more with how do we do this. And I think one of the things that we've realized over and over again is what we're really talking about is effective teaching and learning here, right? And how can digital help us meet the needs 
of every student in our classrooms. And so we each have our own, I think, why in terms of students that we think about or particular kids or schools that we think, how can we really help make this effective? But as we've worked with principals and teachers and coaches in schools across the country and the state, what we've realized is there are certain things that are critical to really making this possible. And so much of it really does come down to how do you make sure you have the people who are prepared to do this, but also how do you have a culture that allows us to be effective and really this vision for teaching and learning. And so I know we're gonna dig into some of those areas more, but for us, we realize that leaders are hungry for how do I do this? How do I make this possible? And so when we started this book, we went to nine excellent um, principles that we've seen in action that have really made a difference in our thinking, but also made huge strides in their schools because of the teams they've built and what they've been able to do. And we wanted to highlight that, but we also wanted to provide this very tangible examples of this is, this is a framework that works, but not only that, these are examples from these principles and these are things you can try tomorrow. So every single chapter ends with a try it tomorrow because we know that part of learning is applying and we wanna make sure that we are giving tangible things that leaders could do in their own schools the, the next day. So there's so many connections in just what you said. <laughs> um, one of them that this is all about teaching and learning. And I think that Lynn and I have oftentimes reflected, we've been, um, in terms of digital, we've been, uh, we're K-12, one-to-one, every kid has a digital device. And we're now in our seventh year, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And it's been interesting to look back over that period of time and see how the conversations have really transformed from initially about the tech and the tools to that's now taken somewhat of a back seat. And most of our conversations, the richest conversations are really those that focus on powerful learning experiences. And the second connection I'm making to what you were saying too, was, you know, that you had connected with these nine principles. Um, and I think what drew me to the, to the book title, which I think I ran across on Twitter and I was like, Lynn, we need to like connect with these. <laughs> that happens a lot. With these ladies <laughs> here awesome. was, was the role of leadership. And, you know, maybe we're biased because we're in leadership positions and most of the people that are listening to our conversation today on the podcast are leaders, but typically I don't think this work happens without the leadership being there and, and having engaged principals, particularly on the ground with the teachers and having an able to have those daily conversations uh, makes such a difference and it's so important. So there's there's just so many elements, I think, of, of your work that that are really reaffirming and reassuring to us and I'm sure as well to many of our listeners. So let's start at the beginning and uh, start with the why. Why is it important for us to have a vision um, as educational leaders in our in our districts? Sure. So I'll I'll kind of um, jump in. This is Nancy. And so, you know, I think that as Ma Marianne um, mentioned, we really took a close look at not only the principles we were working with in the programs that we lead, but also the nine principles in the book. And we knew that we really wanted to kind of dive deep and figure out what what makes their school work and, and, and how are they so successful. And so um, we developed a framework. Um, that, that begins with that creative vision for teaching and learning. And, and that's really in the center because as you mentioned, Randy, having a vision and, and understanding the work that we want and, and, and actually what we wanna happen in our classrooms is so important. And so having that vision um, we know is central and, and principals or school leaders, superintendents, um, they really are crucial 
in setting that vision. Um, we also like to use, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, and we'll tweet it out, but um, the Nosters model for managing complex change. Um, but in, in the Nosters model, it talks about what needs to happen in order to make change um, and that there are six essential um, elements of that. And one of those is vision. And But without a vision, um, we know that there's confusion in the schools. And so if we have um, confusion or people not all on the same page, we can't actually get to where we want to go. And so that's why we believe that, you know, setting that vision of what we want teaching and learning to look like, it's really up to the school leaders um, to do that, to kind of set that path out so that there isn't confusion and so that people understand, hey, this is where we're going. And, you know, along with that vision kind of goes the why. Um, you know, that kind of goes without saying, but um, it's important for everybody to understand why we're doing this. Why do we need to, you know, change or, or, or why do we need to go in this direction? And so I'll just kind of couple that. Um, and Marianne, I don't know if, you'll, if you want to add anything, but um, I think setting that vision is so core because without it, we don't know where we're going. So uh, we'll definitely link in the show notes some information about the managing complex change that you mentioned if you send us a resource so that our listeners can follow up with that. Um, yes. And I think it is, you know, I think your ideas really resonate with us because we did have people saying, where are we going? You know, what's next? What are we doing? And um, that was one of the large drivers for some of the work that we did a year or two ago. So um, affirming, as Randy said. Well, and one other thing I think we've ended up in in this work with groups of leaders is we have found that people sometimes ended up leading with technology, as Randy was saying before, and maybe it's because the district decided to move ahead on a certain initiative or a grant was received, and suddenly they find themselves two or three years later knowing, realizing that teaching and learning hasn't changed. They put so much emphasis on that, and so um, Nancy and I and our team here have worked with countless leaders who come and say, I know we have to do this differently. I know we started with the wrong thing, but how do we build division? And so for us, it's mm -hmm. been so interesting to see that happen and almost that starting over, right? They almost want to be able to say, let's stop where we are and start all over and really create this vision. And mm -hmm. so that's something we see often. Um, and we love to try and help people kind of think about how do you shift that? Yeah, I think we'd agree too that if we look at, um, countless educators that we come into contact with too it's that vision piece that's really that's really missing that their vision doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to have anything different in it than what they're trying to change and uh you know we we've certainly been there and we we learned the hard way so a couple of years ago um we were hearing from our building principals that we needed more clarity in what direction that we were going so um, Lynn and I developed a process of clarifying that vision, and um, we had conversation with a whole host of stakeholders uh, around a couple of questions, and that those questions resulted in uh, two documents that we put together, a profile of a graduate, sort of that end outcome. Um, and there's a there's a lot going on on the uh, interwebs about the, the idea of the profile of the graduate. And then also talking about explicitly, what do we believe about learning? What needs to be different in our classrooms if we want to get to that end point? So related to this idea of creating a vision and including as many people as possible in the creation or having a voice in that, what are some ways that, that educators, as they're going through that visioning process, how can you engage a wide variety of stakeholders to ensure that 
that there's that connection and that understanding about where we're going and why we're going there. Sure. And I think one of the things that we know is being early and often is important because the sincerity of asking for input around vision and actually engaging stakeholders needs to be that you're open, right, to what that might become. And so I think for us, the earlier you start um, engaging all stakeholders, the better this outcome will be and the more you'll have that clarity. Um, I also think that you know, one of the things that we've recognized is asking the question. I love your question that you just phrased. It's very similar to ours, that what do we believe about learning? And we've asked parents and teachers and leaders. And, you know, if a school, when you do that, people don't say we want everyone sitting in rows doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. at the same time, right? <laughs> I mean, not one person has ever told us that. And so I think what we often find is amazing, um, you know, common ground there when you ask that question that all stakeholders actually want that, including community members, right? Including district teams. And so for us, it's asking those questions. I also think focus groups are a tool that we encourage leaders to use because not only they have a lot of meetings, but how do you ask open-ended questions without trying to respond, right? Truly allowing that organic conversation to happen. But also if you take good notes and you, we've actually taught leaders how to code um, the focus group results, like suddenly you see that commonality and you have excellent data that you can use in building that vision. Um, one other strategy we really like is showing, not just telling, because you mentioned earlier how the vision is a very challenging thing, right? How do we create that? We know many leaders will take groups of educators to see another school and you can't just bring the believers, right? The ones who are the early adopters, you've got to bring some of the doubters too. And if possible, bring some parents, bring a board member, right? And so for us, that's showing, I think we try to do that in our work, but also encouraging others to do that too. Um, and then I think lastly, it's just communicating, communicating more. Mm -hmm. And so for us, that engagement doesn't end once you have the vision, it's this ongoing process, sharing the good things, because then when a challenging things happen, you've actually laid the groundwork. So I know we could go on all day about that topic, but those are a few things that we highly recommend, but also have seen in practice that are practical and work well. Mm -hmm. The idea of focus groups is interesting. If you have any um, resources or protocols or anything you'd want to share with our listeners or ourselves, we could link those in the show notes. So you've cre you create the vision, you bring stakeholders in to have some conversation, you learn about what's important to each other. Um, how do you build that trusting, risk-taking culture um, as you move towards implementation? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, that's such an important question. We know that culture is so important. And um, just like the communication, we could spend a lot of time talking about culture, but um, because there are so many factors that go into it. But a couple of things I think that we have to think about um, goes back, and Marianne alluded to this um, a little bit in the communication, but it's the modeling. We have to model the culture um, that that we want. And and you mentioned the risk taking. So if um, if leaders want teachers to take risks, then those leaders have to take risks and have to model that. Um, and so that is really important um, to model. And you know, one one way that leaders can do that, um, one tangible strategy, we work with a principal that um, that has a falafel. Um, which is like a fail, a fail mm. raffle mm. Each, um, each week at his staff meeting. And so when teachers try something new that didn't go as planned, um, they kind of put a, a little ticket into a, 
into a box. And each week he pulls one of those out of the box and um, reads off and then has a little prize. You know, so the teacher talks about um, what it is and, and, and the teacher shares what they learned from it. Um, but I think honoring that um, is one way to model. So we have to model that, you know, it's okay to take risks and, you know, whether it's something like what, um, what Drew Ware does with the falafel or something else, I think that um, other strategies we can do, we have to model. Um, I think the other thing that, that is really important to build a culture of, of risk-taking is inspect what you expect. And, you know, it kind of goes to the modeling, but it also um, helps us as, as leaders. We can't, if we walk into a teacher's classroom and um, we see a lesson that maybe isn't going exactly as the teacher planned, um, you know, and maybe we're there to do a formal observation, maybe we just say, you know what, I'll come back. Let me come back because this isn't, you know, you're trying something new and I want to honor that you're trying something new and I'm not going to, you know, it's obviously not quite quite going like you want it to go. Um, maybe debriefing with that teacher and asking what they learned, but kind of coming back. So you have to inspect what you inspect in that um, honoring that the teacher was trying something new. But then also, if you want them to take risks, you have to, you know, get in there and 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 ask them to take risks and and let them show you mm-hmm. that, um, that that they're doing that. Marianne, do you have anything else to add to that about culture? Because we know it's so important. Yeah, I think it really is. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that relationship building. And, you know, how do you let people know that when you're doing your informal walkthroughs, you know, they really are to support and know what's going on. And they're not punitive and they're not evaluative. And um, but really just to be supportive. We had one principal and we talk about in the book went so far as to give up his office because he wanted teachers to feel comfortable when he was in their room. So he would just go and work in the back of classrooms. I mean, he actually didn't have an office. And um, and that just allowed teachers to be really comfortable that he was there to help them improve. And that the conversation that happened because of that, like it was unbelievable just how candid they were and how comfortable they were. And I think it really allowed all of them to grow, especially as you're doing something challenging, like moving towards personalized pathways, which they were. So I think it's this whole, all these different things every single day. You can't just on one day think you're going to kind of make that shift, right? Mm -hmm. It's every day. It's ongoing. It has to be consistent um, and really important. So explicit modeling um, and explicit follow through. I, I think your statement about inspect with what you expect is really interesting um, to really encourage our principals and us as leaders to have some conversation about what do we what do we want to happen what do we see happening right now and how do we sort of abridge that gap if if there is one um, one of the things that Randy and I were just talking about yesterday we um, we meet with our building leaders once a month and we have started doing sort of an instructional walkthrough or, or brief visit to classrooms as part of that meeting and then trying to have some conversation about that class and what we saw and, and what does it look like and how does it connect with what we've articulated as our learning beliefs and um, sort of what are our next steps. So I'm making those connections to our practice and, and what you're sharing here. I think the fail affle or <laughs> it's a really interesting idea too. So taking taking Lynn's example, I think this idea of culture for us, um, it's always how do we explicitly connect that back to the learning? So ultimately, it's a learning culture that we're creating. And through that walkthrough process, we're trying to reinforce that, that this is a learning opportunity. And then how do those conversations get rooted and grounded in those things that we said we believe about learning? And 
throughout this process, you know, we've learned that this is a lot of heavy lifting. This is a <laughs> lot of hard work because it's changing the organization's mindset about what do we believe about learning? Because sometimes what we do is not in line necessarily with what we believe. So it's that it's that shifting mindsets and and there needs to be a lot of structured a lot of structure around the professional learning that helps people um, enter those conditions whereby their mindsets will be shifted. So talk to us a little bit about this idea of professional learning and what does professional learning need to look like in an organization that has a learning culture and is looking to transform it or truly change it? Yes, and I do think this is so at the heart of this organizational change that we're really talking about here, this mindset shift. Um, and for us, we always go back to like, we know what makes professional learning effective. It's just really hard to do professional learning that way, right? Mm -hmm. We know that it needs to be ongoing. It needs to be job embedded. It needs to be in the context of what you're teaching. Um, we now, I love that the research in the past several years have also added this idea of creating those relationships with others. And so for us, it's how do we do that in a meaningful way? How do we move away from a two hour isolated workshop that we know in general does not really change practice if it's not connected to other things. And so for us, this means meant, like one thing is just making time for professional learning and acknowledging that, like you said, those, the walkthroughs and those conversations you're having that takes time. Um, we also know that coaching and mentoring are critical. Um, we are big fans of Joyce and Shower's research. It goes back a long way, um, but it shows that to really make changes in practice, that coaching and mentoring role is so critical. And that doesn't mean it always has to be a person with that title, right? How are we building those relationships, even in a peer-to-peer -peer way where you have that support? So for us, it's thinking deeply about, are there ways in schools where if you learn something new, or you're trying something new, who is that person that can be that coach to plan with you, to um, co-teach it with you perhaps the first time in an ideal setting, mm -hmm. to go through and debrief with you? You know, how can you make that happen? And I think we do sometimes, if we are really creative with scheduling, peer-to-peer -peer opportunities exist, we just have to make it possible, right? And some of our current structures can make that hard. And so really making that a priority, whether it's making sure there's common planning times. I know Nancy's done a lot of work implementing learning walks, which is kind of like, in my mind, what you all were talking about, where teachers, you know, groups of teachers can go into a classroom. You've built the culture where that's safe, but then you come out and you talk about things. Um, you know, what did you see? And one of the things you all made me think about that we emphasize is, do you have that common language? So if you know this is what you care about, you're ins inspe inspecting what you expect. That's a bit of a tongue twister there. Um, if you're doing that, then how do you help teachers use a common language so we know what we're talking about, mm -hmm. right? Like that engagement is not just compliance mm -hmm. is an example, right? Or do you use a framework like TPAC, right, that kind of helps you think about technology, pedagogy, and content, or is the 4C something you really focus on? And so I think that's the making the time, making sure that we have coaching and mentoring as part of it, having a common language. And then I think the last one is just encouraging and honoring informal and formal professional learning. We can't think that all, just like our students don't all need the same things, we know our teachers don't all need them. And at the Friday Institute, we've actually been able to do a great deal of work around micro-credentials. I'm very curious about this. I think it's still in its infancy, but we're seeing some significant possibilities here with the artifacts. And it does allow teachers to pursue something that 
they really care about, we've also seen some real strength when groups of teachers work on them together. Because again, that gets to that peer-to-peer, -peer, how are we supporting that in the classroom? So for us, it's, it's those key areas. Um, I think it looks different in different places, but I think it takes a lot of intention to make the time and make sure that we're actually getting to what we know to be effective and not just fall back on kind of traditional blocks of time that are available for a one-size-fits-all approach. So I'm making the connection of something to something Randy and I have often talked about, the importance of having that critical friend to learn with, to engage with, to, um, you know, have a, have a risk-free conversation with. Yes. And, you know, one of the most important things um, they say that influences teacher practice is what they see. And so they, if they can see that modeling from an instructional coach or a collab, um, a, a peer teacher, um, you know, somebody that they can go in and observe, it really helps to change mm -hmm. that their instructional practice to something like the learning walks or instructional rounds where they can actually go in and observe um, is really important. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that, that, um, you know, having teachers be able to, to see other teachers and oftentimes it is, it, it's only during our student teaching that we get those opportunities. So I think making sure that teachers have, um, have time to see others teaching is a really important way. And, and we've seen great gains when principals are able to get teachers into other teachers' classrooms or a coach to model lessons for teachers. Hmm. So we've talked about leaders, we've talked about teachers. Uh, let's shift to the lens of students um, and talk about why it's important for us to empower our students by releasing some agency to them. So, you know, why through your lens and what you've shared in your in your resource here, why do you feel like that's important or critical for us in terms of moving forward uh, towards realizing a vision? So we, Marianne and I like to talk about learner agency, not just as student agency, which some people might, but learner agency. So it's not just the students, it's also the teachers, um, although we know how important the, um, the students are. And so when we think about um, learner agency, you know, it goes beyond just students having the opportunity to select a book that they want to read. While that is important, it goes, um, it definitely goes mm -hmm. beyond that. You know, learner agency, when we think about um, learner agency, there are seven things that um, Marianne and I like to share with school leaders, you know, growth mindsets go into this. So, you know, the, the idea that I can learn, the self-efficacy that students feel like that they can do this, um, relevance and purpose. So, you know, students understanding the, like, this is important to me and this is, you know, why I'm learning. Um, the social belonging is really big. Um, students need to feel like that they belong there. Also the goal setting and, um, and management. Students being involved in setting their own goals goes a really long way in them persevering through hard tasks. Um, and the metacognition. Um, we know that students need to understand what they, they do well and what their strengths and also what their deficits are. And then they need to know how to get help. And so all of those things go into learner agency. Um, and we have a great resource and a graphic that we'll share um, in the show notes there that have those seven things. But um, I think all of those are really important. And, and we know that these are the kind of students that we want. Um, jobs are changing, and, and you know we all know the the, the quote about how um, the jobs that our students, that our kindergarten students will have, most of them don't even exist yet. And so instead of teaching them to memorize facts or to understand um, particular concepts, we really need to um, help them to think about how to think, and learner agency is key to that. We're in this very interesting um, time where, um, 
you know, I think it used to be that most of what you needed to know for your career, you learned in school and <laughs> Roland Barthes has a resource from a few years ago that shares that basically, you know, 2% of the knowledge you need. And so to me, it's how are we helping kids develop that? But we also know with cognitive science and other things that we know more that you're much more likely to learn successfully if you have that agency and you are practicing the skills that Nancy just outlined. And so it's both effective learning strategies, but also as we're preparing kids, I think it will serve them very well that we're building that. Um, and I think there's nothing like a student who's very, very excited about what they're learning and what they're doing. And we know that we get when kids start school, they're usually pretty excited about learning. And somewhere we seem to lose some of that. And so I think building in more agency and helping teachers mm -hmm. about what that means and obviously leaders to support that um, can really help us to keep that engagement throughout school, but also better prepare our students. So one of the things that I connected with uh, in, in those responses was the idea of learner agency being spread throughout the organization and not just uh, in the classroom at the student level. And Lynn and I, um, we actually are working on a another podcast project called Shift Your Paradigm. It's at shiftyourparadigm.org, and we've been interviewing school leaders that are involved in this transformation and trying to understand what sort of leadership, either competencies or distinctions, uh, from s traditional school-centered leadership are, are required. And, and at the core of this kind of leadership, as we've gone through, I think, like 20-some episodes now, is this idea of agency. The, there's, the leaders have agency, and they act upon that agency, and they create the culture for those around them to have the agency. So it goes back to the modeling piece that you mentioned earlier. It's, it's throughout the whole organization, and it's a, it's, we've learned a definitely a different kind of leadership um, to, to lead these kinds of transformations and these kinds of organizations with these um, different sets of learning beliefs than, than the traditional dominant paradigm of thinking about school. Um, so, so that learner agency piece, it's good to hear you say it. it it's, <laughs> it's more than just, just those in, in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So um, your, your book is definitely full of, chock full of, of things for school leaders that are, are doing this work. And, and uh, it was it really a good read and definitely recommend it uh, to those that are doing the work. So to wrap up today, is there any you know, little tidbit or piece of advice or closing thought about uh, leading this work that you'd like to give to our listeners? Sure. Um, this is hard work. Mm -hmm. And the reason we're all still working on it and we need to keep figuring out and all the work that you both are doing and we're doing and people across the world are doing is, is that we want to figure it out and we want to do it really, really well, but it is complex. Mm -hmm. And I think for leaders, you can't do it alone. Um, I think that idea of building your team and figuring out how you do this together um, because it's exciting work. It's rewarding work. I've asked hundreds and hundreds of teachers, not one, once they get to more personalized learning would go backwards, but it does take a lot of work to get there. And I think just realizing from the beginning, it takes a team and it takes everyone moving together is the key um, because it can be lonely being the leader of a school. And um, you can think you have to, sh you know, kind of carry all of it. And once you bring in that team, that's when we see some amazing things happening. And I think what you two have described obviously supports that as well, but that's what we see again and again. So that's my advice. Mm -hmm. Nancy, what about you? 
No, I think I would just echo those same sentiments that, yeah, you know, build your team and also connect with others. Can, you know, use social media. Twitter is a great outlet um, to, to not only um, connect with others, but also to get resources and support. And so I would just say, um, don't try to do it by yourself and know that you're going to um, make mistakes, but learn from those mistakes and, um, and seek those those around you, or maybe even not, not right around you, but, um, you know, use social media to connect with others to, to help give you insights and to help you. Great suggestions. Well, thank you so much, Nancy and Marianne, for joining us today. And also uh, your third author, a co-author, Elizabeth Bobst, for sharing that, those ideas and resources in the text as well. Uh, in the show notes, you'll see there's some information that Nancy and Marianne shared during the conversation and also a link to Nancy's Twitter handle, a link to the book. Uh, if you want to check it out, we highly recommend it. And uh, one more idea, you can follow that leading PDL, hashtag leading PDL, to see some of the resources that they share on a regular basis. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. This episode's question... Reflecting on your own work and the ideas presented here today in the podcast, what is one thing you would like to investigate in your practice? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or access the resources that were shared, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season four, episode 17. That's all for now. We'll be back soon with another episode featuring a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Nancy and Marianne. Thank you. Bye-bye. Want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.